Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation. Now a content partner to the new BridgeDetroit.com. I am Donald Trump's tax accountant. No, they're going to take you to jail, Orlando. I, I am Orlando Bailey. <laughs> and I'm Johnny Givens. <laughs> Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Drop a new episode every week, so turn on those notifications. <laughs> Today, oh, we oh, are... <laughs> Donna just put up a graphic. <laughs> it's, a, it's Cuba Gooder Jr. Uh, get, going, going back to jail, but the meme says, me after doing my own taxes and only paying $750. <laughs> uh, in another world, people, in another world, things white people can get away with. Today, we're happy to welcome Edith Ford to the show to discuss the 48214 CARE Project, among other things. She is the self-proclaimed Queen of the East Side, Director of Community Engagement and Mac Development, and resident in the 48214 zip code. Edith, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Thank you. I love it so far. You guys got me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. We yeah. try to start light and work our way heavy, okay? <laughs> I like That's that. That's who I am today. Call me Donald Trump's <laughs> tax accountant, all right? Uh, certainly, there's a lot going on in the world, but let's check in. How are y'all? How is your weekend? What's going on? <laughs> you know, my weekend um, was interesting. Kevin worked all weekend, but he um, is the um, director of design at the Wright Museum. And he designed or led the design of the Voting Matters exhibit. And um, what a timely exhibit to be at the right at this time um, that outlines the history of um, voting among Black people, the civil rights struggle to vote. And as importantly, there's a whole room committed to the role of Black women in getting to vote. It is amazing. I learned so many things. Um, I learned the importance of universal suffrage and that our sisters were really fighting for universal suffrage while white women were fighting for women's suffrage. And um, the fact that we have always, as women, been at the forefront. So I know there's a whole lot in that exhibit that spoke to the role of all of these powerful men, but I'm telling you, I was drawn to that women's room because our history is not always recognized. And at a time such as this, where we have a vice presidential candidate who is a black woman. Yeah. To now have somebody standing up representing us in these United States after we have fought for everybody else, actually had me yeah. close to tears. I was so proud of the exhibit, proud of Kevin and his team for just doing a beautiful job. So Ooh, that, is, wow. it a virtual, is it a virtual exhibit or is it a in-person? Like, can we go and see it? You know, you can go and see it. And when you go there, they'll give you a pen with a stylus because there are some interactives. And so you have to use a stylus to touch the interactive. So you get a free oh, pen from the museum as part of your visit. Um, and yeah, it, it was really, really moving. Um, I didn't stay the entire time, I have to be honest. I was only there for about 45 minutes because I'm still 
I was wearing heels. I was trying to be cute and I can only sit <laughs> so long in heels. So next time I have to um, go and be practical. <laughs> 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 you being cute is costly. You know what, but it's like, you know, you're visiting your husband's place of work. You got to look the part. You can't just walk in there looking all regular, you know? So I was like, <laughs> I was stunned on, and, and then my feet hurt. I was like, I don't know who you thought you were. I'll like, understand. <laughs> like, I come back. So that's really good news to hear that the Wright Museum is open for this exhibit. You can actually physically go to the Charles H. Wright Museum and see this exhibit. I'm sure that they are taking safety precautions, Donna. Yes, absolutely safe, absolutely safety precautions. And I believe in the next couple of weeks, they're gonna open the Tuskegee Airmen exhibit that's also been underway for some time. So lots of exciting exhibits. And I think probably the most exciting news for us is the way that the Ford Museum just showed up and said we're going to support black and brown institutions across the nation and the Ford Foundation the Ford Foundation committed oh, nice. a great sum I mean somewhere between one and four million dollars I'm hearing to the Wright Museum to say even though you're hitting these hard times you know other museums have these deep endowments so we're going to level the playing field um, I have so much respect for um, Kevin Ryan and now Darren Walker, who is the president oh, of the too, yeah. you can sort of see, this is just an ethic of the museum to really try to um, do what everybody talks about and make sure Black Lives Matter. So it was it was a good weekend. Yeah, shout out to yeah. the foundation. I mean, we shout them out every show. They're our sole funder for Authentically Detroit. Uh, they believe in what we do here, and we're so thankful that they have invested uh, in the podcast. Eva, how about you? How, how are you? How was your weekend? It was great. Um, I spent the weekend canvassing. Well, I got this new bike that's a teal shiny green. And so I spent the weekend going up the block, asking up and down our blocks, asking people about Proposal Inn. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, boy, are you, not are you ever not that? working, Edith? No, no, because people don't let me. Like when we shut down for the shutdown um, in March, the next day, people started coming to my house. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, uh, the building was closed. I'm like, yeah, we're closed. I'm working from home. They're like, well, yeah, you are because we're here. I'm like, y'all, come on. So I never stopped working. But I have a question because it's not really working. When is a queen not a queen? You know what I'm saying? When you take oh, on yeah. status, you just got to be a queen all the time. It's not a part-time <laughs> job. You know, Queen Elizabeth no. is not nine to five. She's just queen. It's not, it's not when, when you're the queen, it's not what you do. It just becomes who you are. And when you yeah. show up, you're showing up the queen. That's why we love yeah. it. <laughs> and they all come outside to talk to me because they know the queen come with soldiers. So I need some masters. I know. There's a whole army, right? You don't just come with soldiers, a whole army. I, not too long ago, I heard you out there, you know, trying to set some folks straight in your neighborhood. Like, hold on, watch how you talk to the queen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Next to the queen's house because I'm going to do something about it. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to get my army. I was afraid to drive through people. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I don't want to mistake an identity. I don't know what they look like, what, but no. <laughs> That's what I haven't heard any shooting. 
And no more garbage dumping. <laughs> I was not the only one afraid either. So yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm like, God, now. <laughs> so let me ask you a question before we move on. What were you hearing from residents about Proposal N? Okay, so I try to talk to a variety of people from all economic levels, statuses. The big issue is, what about my $600 million? The next issue they have is, especially for us on the east side, when you tear this stuff up, we've been keeping up lots and houses owned by distant developers for over, for decades, not over a decade, for decades. There's nothing in there about that. There's no preference language for residents having first choices at houses and land. And they don't like that is not a preference for the CDCs that they are familiar with that work for them um, to have preference. Um, they see the developers having preference as a problem because of past experiences and what they're experiencing in their neighborhood with developers. So it's a hot topic. It's a hot topic. And um, then we got a lot of people that don't even know what's in it. So I've been printing off the slideshows from our um, meeting from the, we had um, with Adam Holier and all those guys. And so now I'm going to be dropping those off so those homeowners can read it or, or renters. I don't care what they are um, because they pay taxes too. And um, then I told them I'll come back and visit them and get their opinion. Cause I'd rather have, I'd rather you be knowledgeable than acting off an of emotion. What's important to note even to that end, Edith, is that people are voting already, right? Yeah. Like early voting is happening. Absentee voting is happening. And from what you're telling us, they're still a part of the electorate and the 48214 zip code that needs that education and information. Yes, I'm getting um, re um, requests from Facebook, emails, stopped on the way home because I try to walk home down different blocks every day um, so people can catch me. So I got to get a lot of information out pretty quickly. And that's like most of the problem in Detroit. People don't realize everybody doesn't have Facebook or Internet or they don't access their emails. That's not in their life. And um, it's costly, but we have to send things to people in writing. And not just a postcard with what you want them to see, but with the whole, the whole um, project, um, the bill, or whatever it is, so they can read through it and make a good decision. No, I think you're so right. I think that um, we have a responsibility to provide facts and to respect the right of people to interpret those facts however they choose. Um, there's a lot of people who really want to jump the gun and tell people how to vote. Um, and I take issue with that because mm -hmm. nobody wants to be told what to do. People want to do what they're doing based on their understanding of the issues. So I really appreciate you going out there and making sure people really know what they're voting for. Um, I think it's important that people do understand some of what is in the um, resolution. I don't know if it, it was even raised today because they were talking about the. It, it was. Did they vote for it? Yes. They supported it. So it's important to understand what's in the resolution that supports it. A lot of that was in the slideshow, but that will give re residents some preference for 
um, purchasing vacant land and housing and give CDC some preference for um, purchasing vacant land and housing. I think the question is, is that enough? So there's some provisions is better, you know, what they're talking about is a better job, but the question is, is it enough of a good job, you know? Right. Uh, well, let's make sure that we get that information that's in that resolution that passed today. And you know, when they pass those resolutions, a lot of times it's not the one you looked at last week, okay? <laughs> right. And so I wanna see exactly what that language is and I'll get that to you so that you can make sure you share that with your neighbors and then ask them, you know, is this enough? Or what else do you want and need from the city? One of the big questions for me is, um, and it's one of those questions, we always do it in retreats. I like doing this question in retreat. Like I usually ask staff, if you had a million dollars, how would you spend it, right? Mm -hmm. No strings attached, how would you spend it? That's the question we ask, right? And people get to, because when people talk about having a million dollars, they can then document their values. You know, I have yet to see one person say, I would increase my salary. But people, that may be, you know, in the back of people's minds, what I really hear people talking about is how they would use those funds to address their priorities, right? And right. that's the real question for Detroiters, is this $250 million going to fix the top concerns of yours? And the interesting thing for me, Orlando, is that Bridge published an article last week that talked about what low-income Detroiters want. Yeah. And I didn't see demolition on the list. I saw housing, transportation, what else was on there? Uh, housing, transportation. Jobs jobs, all, you know, all of that. And so <laughs> I, I think people would rather uh, see a neighbor occupy a vacant home than it be torn down, right? I think there yeah. is a on part of some residents in the city that are tired of the city being torn down, right? I think yeah. there is an appetite for us to look at root causes to nip whatever it is that's causing the cyclical system to continue to perpetuate itself. And that is over-assessments, uh, that is predatory lending, that is high taxes uh, where folks are qualified for exemptions that aren't automatically enrolled in exemptions and don't know how to go. So it's, it's so many things. Demolition is definitely not... Uh, on top of people's priority lists in this city. No, and you and it's and you can tell that by socioeconomic lines. And when you got people that's hungry, it's like Jesus when um, the mass ca came to him to hear him speak, and he told his disciples, "We have to feed them first. So if you don't, if you never ever take care of their basic needs when they ask." And I always remind residents, even if you're poor, you still pay taxes. Even if you don't work, you're paying taxes, you know, through city taxes, uh, sales taxes. So you have a voice in this and you have to feed, you have to give people something sometime to get what you want. And that is really lost on people these days. Yeah. I wouldn't even say give um, versus <laughs> make whole. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a better, yeah. I like that better. Because it's not like you giving them anything, they're paying for it. Oh, really? Interview like 750 um, taxes that Trump paid. Um, the IRS and Congress got some explaining to do for me because I need some of that, my money back. 
So I, I had this interview with Cranes today, and this is my follow-up interview. Poor Annalise Frank um, keeps calling me up and wanting me to shorten my quotes, and they get longer. I keep trying, but I can't do that anymore. And, you know, the question is, is the city doing a good job? And my question is, a good job at what? <laughs> yes. Goal. What is the vision and role of government? Is it to stimulate financial markets? Is it to build housing markets? Is it to attract, you know, um, real estate markets? What is the role of government? If the role of government is doing those things, then what the city is doing makes a whole lot of sense. If the role of government is to take care of the people, you can't look, you use market logic when it comes to caring for people. That's trickle down theory. It doesn't work. Caring for people means that you have to sometimes do things that don't make market sense. Taking care of poor people does not bring an economic return. It may bring a social return. It will bring a social return. It will, in the long term, I believe, bring an economic return because when you take oh, yeah. care of the least of us, everything becomes more stable. Then we have to spend less money on everything we do because people are broken, right? But, right. Uh, but, but it's not, you don't do it for the future returns, not for the future economic returns. You do it because you love people and you care about people and you want people to be okay. And if the government believes that's what you do, then it's failing. But if it thinks building markets, we can show yes. Housing values increased here. Housing sales activity increased here. We attracted this many jobs. We might even look at the stock market and bond rating of the city of Detroit. So I just think there's a fundamental disconnect between where some people are like me and where city government is. And that's, we're, we're speaking different language. And we got to get yeah. on the same language place. We're like speaking in different tongues to each other and we can't hear each other because of that difference. So, yes, I agree. They, they t government is about the people with some business, but now they changed it to straight business. And when you're straight business, you don't care about the people. You care about your bottom line and it, it can't work that way. I'm, I, 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 honestly, I'm reading this book about Henry Ford and Black Detroit and the way the Ford Motor Company played a role in helping to shape the politics of Detroit. Detroit has always been about industry. This nation has always been about industry. We say it's about people, but our laws and policies and everything we do is designed to meet the needs of industry, in my opinion, even when we do housing. So I think that there's this disconnect between what we say and what we really believe. And because we're not willing to utter that, and tonight we're going to have the debate. And it's going to be really interesting to see if anybody talks about anything I care about, um, the questions that are asked and everything. But I just think we have to be honest about our history. We came here as cargo. We came here as property. We came here to make money for people by any means necessary, whether that meant branding us, cutting off our foot, raping us, whatever they need to do, selling our children. So this has never been a nation for the people, by the people, despite what it says in our constitution. And I'm so sorry, Orlando, because you didn't even get to say what you're weak unless you got a new haircut, you're looking fly, and I'm talking all about this um, political philosophy. How was your weekend? <laughs> I, my, my weekend was good. Uh, I, I, I cut all my hair, well, my cousin cut all of my hair off, correction. <laughs> I, had a, I had a head full of hair, had to cut off. 
And uh, I rested. Um, I unplugged and I rested all day Saturday. I just sort of vegged out and did nothing to uh, turn my brain off, um, which is hard for Virgos like Diamond and myself, but I was actually able to do it. So I, my weekend was pretty restful um, and, and, and good. I, I really enjoyed doing nothing. I didn't read news. I didn't listen to news. I did nothing. And Sunday uh, evening, um, I uh, finally opened up some stuff and saw the New York Times article about uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. So I had my nickname is Donald Trump tax accountant. I'm, that's what I said. <laughs> I think I might change my Twitter handle to that. <laughs> Donald. It's time for Fresh Off the Press, news that we are thinking about. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. Donna, Fresh Off the Press. Um, Detroit makes a $50 million commitment toward affordable housing. This is Candace Williams at the Detroit News. So. Um, yeah, the city of Detroit announced today at 11 a.m. the Detroit Housing for the Future Fund, which is a public-private partnership that already has a committed $48 million in private capital to create affordable housing, with J.P. Morgan Chase committing $15 million and the um, Kresge Foundation contributing $10 million. And the goal is to eventually direct $75 million in private capital for that purpose. So. Um, that sounds really, really, really good because um, $50 million is a whole lot of money and $75 million is even more. Mm -hmm. When you look at the fact that the city is trying to raise a $250 million leverage fund, of which $160 million will be used for housing demolition, it no longer looks as big, right? When you consider the fact that since Duggan has been mayor, the city has spent over half a billion dollars on demolition activities. And probably we're probably headed towards 700, 800 million dollars as we speak. Sometimes I ask myself, what would Detroit look like if the city committed 800 million dollars to an affordable housing fund? and spelled that out and said, this affordable housing will house this group of people who don't have homes anymore, or will help seniors fix up their homes. I yeah. wonder what the economic return would be. I wonder what the quality of life return would be on that housing. And sometimes when you do a housing project, you have to demolish what's there while you're building something else up. But, um, it felt underwhelming to me, especially when you look at the details. And I, listen, hats off to everybody who put money in. I'm appreciating, I think it's great that you're doing this. Thank you to everybody who contributed. Thank you to JP Morgan Chase for contributing $2.5 million in grant funds and $12.5 million in low income, low interest loans. But keep in mind, that a good portion of this money has to be paid back with loan funds. It's going to be reintroduce, we'll lend you money at a lower rate. And so a lot of the banks that are contributing will make money, but less money than they would normally make. 
And this money will be guaranteed by the Kresge Foundation in a large $10 million grant. So I'm not trying to say this is not going to be worthwhile. There will be houses that are developed. There will be projects that are developed as a result of this. A good portion of the fund is going to go to preserve uh, affordable housing that is facing you know, the termination of its affordable housing life because it, the 15 year commitment to make it affordable is ending. And if you don't do anything, it could either fall apart as a development or it could be converted to market rate housing. Don, so, um, what, how are, where are the entry points if there are any for uh, nonprofit developers, say like the Eastside Community Network or Detroit Catholic Pastoral Alliance? Yeah. Is there a difference between what the city is calling affordable housing and light tech housing? Low income. I mean, light tech housing is affordable. Mm -hmm. So um, I imagine that some of these funds will be made available for light tech housing. Mm -hmm. It's not clear, you know, when you talk about light tech housing, it's not all one thing. You have 4% credits and you have 9% credits. The 4% credits are non competitive. And that housing is not as subsidized as highly as the 9% credit. So you have to keep that in mind too, that light tech is not all one thing. The second thing you have to keep in mind is that the city right now, as we speak, restricts where you can do a low-income housing tax credit, that's light tech, where you can do a low-income housing tax credit project. It has to be in one of the strategic neighborhoods. Mm. Or the city, you have to get special permission from the city to do it outside of a strategic neighborhood. So the other thing that this does is it concentrates investment in certain areas. And the way you're seeing a lot of these projects done, you're not doing the maximum affordability, let's say 30% affordability, 30% of the area median income. You're not building housing for that. You're building housing maybe for the higher affordability um, bands. And so... Right. Um, I, I think it's good. I think anytime the city is doing anything for affordable housing, it's good. And we should be um, relieved that there is a $50 million commitment and hopefully a $75 million commitment. But when I consider one Atlanta and uh, Minneapolis um, 2040 plans where they have a comprehensive plan that looks at all of the housing needs and how they're gonna do everything, and estimates the cost and puts together a timeline and a phasing strategy. I have to admit, it's not clear to me that this does not fall short. I want to see the big picture. What is Detroit, the vision of the Detroit leadership in rehousing Detroit? How much would it cost? Would it cost $5 billion to have enough housing so that people didn't live in homeless shelters? $10 billion? I don't know. But then right. we can have a thermometer and we can see how close $50 million takes us to the actual need. Um, and then I think the other thing is participatory budgeting for me, where we understand all of the uses of our government finances. We've heard of defund the police, restructure public safety, all of that meaning that we're putting a lot of money in public safety and not as much money in human services. And there's an argument that some people will be, make that the more money you put in human services, the less money you'll have to spend on policing. Yes. Um, so that what said, about, what about the, 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 to the, question, the other part of the question about entry points for nonprofit developers to take advantage of some of this financing? To so if you're planning on developing 
housing within an approved neighborhood that meets whatever the priorities are of the city, I think you can do it. Now, I think that usually that means multifamily housing. Yes. We're hoping what the city is saying now is that, um, that, that um, individual housing units can be, single family housing units can be supported with these funds and the city is recommitting itself to some level of single family acquisition rehab and that's a good thing. Um, yes, yes. But I think that the reality is none of us has seen a housing plan for Detroit. None of us has seen where this lays out. And so there's a lot of mystery. The other thing and the final thing I'll say is that the city- Can I ask you a question? Is it, is, will they be doing things like, um, it's an 80 um, building unit and it will only be two um, affordable housing units in that apartment building? Like, or are they gonna do, whole apartment buildings that's just affordable? Like, that's a question I would want to know. From what I've seen, the city prefers mixed income properties to um, properties that are devoted to low-income people. And there's the argument that people will make that you don't want people living in concentrated poverty. I think you have to weigh that argument, though, against whether or not through these mixed income properties you'll ever build enough housing to address the need. Sometimes you need 60 units. You don't need 15 yeah. units of affordable housing so you can live with wealthier people. And the other thing is that um, are these family units or are these going to be units that target individuals? So much of what we do in terms of low-income housing now seems to be studio apartments, tiny houses, other things that don't address the needs of the families in our community. And my question yeah. is how easy is it for a middle income even family to live in quality affordable housing in Detroit right now? And you know that that's the question and I think the need would always be greater <laughs> at least in in this this short span of time in the foreseeable future uh, than the resources. The goal is to preserve 10,000 uh, affordable units that are currently online in the city of Detroit and build uh, at least 2,000 units needed. And so uh, wherever the development is, the goal in this leverage fund, in this piece of the, the uh, multifamily housing leverage fund, uh, is to build at least 2,000 new units across the city. And I don't know how they're spacing it out. Uh, but uh, to Donna's point, the city prefers uh, multi-use mixed income developments. We've heard that and have confirmed that numerous times, but yeah. So the city has committed to 8,000 units of housing um, that they're going to secure for redevelopment, right? Through, through proposal N, if this passes the voters. Um, for it private redevelopment. November. Pardon me? That those 8,000 units will be preserved for private redevelopment, right? For, right, for private redevelopment, 8,000 for, for future redevelopment by private developers. So if you contrast the 2,000 units that the city has with these 6,000 units, and we know all 2,000 units are not going to go for this um, fixing up vacant housing. I just, you know, it, I believe the city says things like, we don't want to prom make promises that we can't keep. But sometimes when your vision is so limited, it, people lose hope. I want you to make a promise that's an aspirational promise, like, 
Everybody yeah. will have a home in Detroit. You know, aspire to that. Because if at least if you're trying to be there, it helps me understand your priorities. Um, right. So, um, so that's my, my thought about the story. I mean, I don't want to pour um, water on this and just be negative, but I think that um, $50 million in the context of $250 million in this bond is not enough money. We need a higher commitment. We need more grant dollars. And we also need to specify how these dollars are going to be used inside of neighborhoods, which neighborhoods get them. All of those questions that people have started to be smart enough to ask themselves. Yeah, I just I have a question too. Well, how come uh, Detroit Lisk is managing? Uh, oh yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that um, is also involved. Yeah. How much money was made um, selling properties and land to developers? Like, you know, foreclosed properties. How much money was made with that, and how come some of that money can't be added to that? Because some people lost their houses illegally. Um, because they were overtaxed. Most of us were all overtaxed. So don't we get a choice of how that money is used? Like they sold land and houses and, you know, how much money was made on that? And where did that money go? Why can't it be used to add to this affordable housing pot? Well, a couple things. One, the, um, the county forecloses on houses. Okay. They purchased the debt from the city. They foreclose on the houses, and they receive the um, they receive the proceeds from the sale of those houses when they're sold at auction, and then they'll transfer some houses to the land, Detroit Land Bank Authority. But I don't think the Detroit Land Bank Authority gets that money from them. Okay. So then the question is, how much money is the DLBA making from selling homes? After yes, they're foreclosed on by the county, and I don't know if those dollars have ever been disclosed. That's a very good question to Ooh. ask. But um, I don't know how many people, I don't know the budget of the Detroit Land Bank Authority. It seems like it's a people intensive um, entity. And despite despite having all of those people, um, it feels like they they feel as though they're short staffed and short handed. I don't really know. I don't know how many people it would take to manage 90,000 some odd parcels uh, in the city of Detroit, both with structures and non-structures. I uh, would like to see um, the Detroit Land Bank Authority uh, commit to paper what their practices are. This is something that I've talked about mm-hmm. before, especially when we talk about being able or not being able to purchase land bank owned property in strategic neighborhoods while those neighborhoods are under undergoing a planning study. Uh, who gets access to the land and who doesn't? Who uh, gets to break the hold on the land and who doesn't, right? Um, okay. And all of that seems to just be unclear and unwritten. And uh, so, yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I We should FOIA that because I'm sure they wouldn't give us the answer if we just <laughs> uh, figure out what, you know, you know, pressure them to put their practices on paper. Because, you know, I hear from residents all the time and everything is like, you know, well, I talked to this person and this person told me that and that person told me something else and another person told me that. I'm like, well, what is what are, what are the rules? How is everybody able to tell you something different? Is there is there a starting place? Is there a rule book that, you know, these folks are playing by? So, yeah, more, yeah. To, more to come on that. <laughs> Fresh off the press. Detroit City Council renews contract for racially biased facial recognition surveillance software. 
Steve Neeling at the Metro Times, the Detroit Metro Times is reporting. This vote took place today. I just want to tell everybody that today's date is, our recording date is September 29th. The city council voted uh, this afternoon to uh, continue or renew a contract for uh, this software, the company being uh, DataWorks. Uh, just for clarification purposes, the contract was for technical support, maintenance, upgrades, and licensing. So even if the city council rejected the contract extension, the city would still have access to the technology and could have still used the technology just without all of the upgrades. So this vote mm -hmm. came after about 30 some odd people uh, Detroiters got up in public comment expressing dissent to this facial recognition software, including uh, a good friend who's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, uh, Tawana Petty, who is with the Detroit uh, Technology Project, who really focuses on uh, data justice, right? Uh, what we know and uh, what has been proven is that this, that facial recognition software disproportionately misidentifies people of color, particularly black people. British Detroit has reported on a man who was wrongfully arrested because he was identified in aid with uh, this facial recognition technology. Once again, to the point that Donna and I were making last week about uh, the Detroit City Council, I don't know, nor do I understand who these people are hearing from and who they are serving when in every hearing and in every discussion about facial recognition technology, the public comment has been overwhelmingly in dissent of extending this contract. The other thing and the final thing that I will say about, about this is that Chief Craig himself has said that this uh, success rate in identifying people is maybe around 6% right so you have a wow. something percent rate of it being wrong i don't understand how in good conscience people on the detroit city council overseeing a city that is 80 percent black can pass this contract measure i don't understand it and i am disillusioned once again <laughs> with uh, the council and I, yeah, I just don't, I don't get it. And I, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out why, but there's no logical answer to this. This is clearly a flex and political power towards some other goal that we don't know anything about. But it's disheartening and it's disappointing. Just think you well, most of us got two sets of cameras in our business. Like we got the green light, but I think, and we have our own private um, security cameras. And I'm going to tell you, I rather that they gave us a credit towards our own cameras because um, we have we have had things happen in our building. The officers and detective can't even access the green light footage. We have to give them our footage from our own cameras and security systems. And most of the time when we pull it up, we know exactly who it is because they live in our neighborhood and they're up at our building. So I don't understand exactly what they are doing, um, why they only can recognize 6% is because we're going to have our cameras. We just need them um, 
but that's just like a waste of money. And I'm sure taxpayers are putting some of that bill. The other disappointing thing about this is that when the mayor was touting and advocating for the green light program, what we didn't know was that the green light program would be used for the facial recognition uh, software as well, right? And so right. people, Detroiters bought into this, this surveillance measure in the green light program, not knowing all to the fullest extent what it could and would be used for. And I, I think that's dishonest. Did they know about that in the, in the beginning? No. I mean, like the city, the, the police department. No. no. I'm sure the police department knew. I think that you have to look at the mindset of, um, of people in power um, towards Black people, especially Black people who are not from their social class. Because when you, in Detroit, you have an elite class, and then you have non elite. Huh? Say well, but, but you know, I mean, you have um, racism is not always enforced or carried out by white people. Sometimes it's black people acting on irrational and wrong beliefs about black people that create the problem. When you believe honestly and in your soul that there is this huge criminal class of people that you've got to crack down on, then it makes sense that you treat every single person like a perpetrator. I'm going to give an example. When I was at um, Vanguard Community Development Corporation years ago, um, we had a partnership with Northern High School. And I was working with the principal because he couldn't figure out how to do budgeting. And I was trying to show him how to do title and budgeting. And ended up in an office where I saw this great big three ring binder. And the three ring binder had this on the cover, student mugshots. And I opened it up and it was just the student IDs of all the students at um, Northern High School. Mm. They were described, the student identification badges were described as mugshots. You know who gets mugshot? Somebody who's been arrested, a suspect. Yes. When I used to walk into that building, I would see you know, security guards or police officers, whatever, with young ladies on the floor with their knee in their back and their hands pinned behind them. And I'm thinking, this is so aggressive. I'm walking into this school and I'm traumatized every time I walk into this school. Wow. A white person I ever saw walking, working in that building. This was how the powers that be interpreted who the students were inside of their school. So there's a disconnect. There is a lack of respect. There is dehumanization that takes place such that that man who arrested, got arrested, who you wrote about, who was arrested in front of his children wrongfully based on the, it's just the price of freedom. People minimize it. People do not identify with that. It's not as though McAllister or Tate or Spivey or Benson see themselves as a the kind of black men who might, whose pictures might resemble somebody who did, committed a crime. They see themselves as being separate. And that is the, 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 the true crime of it all, is the sense yeah. of, distance between them and other people. And this is why we need representative government. We need people who can see themselves in that man who was arrested. We need people who can see themselves in a homeless person. We need people who can see themselves in a person who has been mistreated on the job. 
if you have people on city council who cannot see themselves in the very people who are coming and protesting actions, we need somebody who can see themselves as somebody who is overtaxed and put out of their home and had their home snatched away illegally. But instead, we have an elite class of politicians who see themselves as being a cut above and, and, and are cozy with other people. You know, it's not unusual. You know how it is. You get to a certain place and you're working with um, people in power and they tell you, oh, you know, you're not like the other ones. And you, which ones? You know, they try to differentiate you. Oh, you're one of the good ones. I actually told somebody told me, you know, you're one of the ones who gets it, Donna. What the hell am I getting? You know, but 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 that can be if you're not careful, you start believing that stuff. Yes, that's the reason why it's not. I'm not trying to change their minds. I just think we need different people in city council influencing power. And right now, they're disconnected. Most of them are disconnected. You know who's not? Raquel Castaneda Lopez. Remember when she was losing her home to foreclosure or something like? I don't. There was some scandal attached to her home. And um, the news went out there and, you know, she was like, listen, I don't have a lot of money. I've, I'm taking care of a family. She could relate. That's when you knew that she was going to be acting on behalf of people because she saw herself as one of them. Oh, yeah. And I give it to Mary, too, because Mary Sheffield is in our neighborhood walking and on your porch all the time. And yeah. um, she listens and 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 I just love that, and it and it really motivates people to get out. Like it motivated our young adults lately to go out to vote in the last election, and we, you just got to do that. That's why I changed the way I dress. I threw the Gucci purses um, in the closet, put the Brooks Brothers suit up, and like I always tell my pastor, I'm going to the meeting looking like I just robbed the liquor store. Um, because it makes people comfortable with talking to you up and down. Well, some of the up people frown up at me and I'm just looking at them. I'm like, I'm cut from the same cloth, but the Lord did taught me a lesson since I moved back to Detroit. I don't mess with guys, people. Um, when you got that power and, and our parents work for us to have that education, to be able to do something for the poor, poor people. Like I learned that from my grandmother. She, they really had things going on, but my grandmother never made anybody think that she was better than them. And she always was working to help poor people. Yeah, I want to. And she prospered for that. Yeah, well, my my grandmother was the same way, Edith. My grandmother mm -hmm. was the bomb.com. My grandmother was the <laughs> one who let us know you're not better than them. you're not just. I'm not going to treat you like I'm better. I'm not better. We all come from the same God, we all come from the same place and we're all going to return to the same place. Some of us have more blessings than others, but when we internalize that to believe, therefore I'm better than you because whatever, you know, you're born on third place. That makes you, Donald Trump thinks he's better than other people because he was born to a multimillionaire. What was that, that, that story that was in um, the paper last time we were talking about these guys? They said they went from zero to a million dollars in two they years. Dan Gilbert's son selling stuff to Dan Gilbert. It's like, I know you don't think he did something here, right? Um, but I think <laughs> we have to be honored. We have to honor people, honor the lived experiences of people and know what they are. That's why we appreciate you, Edith, because you keep it real. You go out there, you knock on doors, you let us know. I always am going to need people in my ear, right? 
at ECN to make sure that when I go out there and I speak, I am not just talking my own language. I'm not listening to praise. I'm not listening to all of these compliments. I am hearing and speaking on behalf of the people who I may or may not see what you do, and you're going to let me know. I see them too, but not as often as you. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's my job. You know, to be honest, and I appreciate that you listen to me without shooting the messenger, because I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So with this, the city is installing um, high-definition cameras at roughly 500 intersections um, throughout the city. I also want to amplify the the no votes uh, today that came from Councilwoman Raquel Castaneda-Lopez, Council President Pro Tem, Mary Sheffield, and Council President. Brenda Jones. All right, that wraps up our Fresh Off the Press segment. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Now, on to our featured discussion with Miss Edith Ford of Mac Development. You've been such a joy to have on the show, Edith. I can't believe this is your first time. Uh, for the people who uh, may not know, tell us about Mac Development and its mission and, you know, what you guys been doing, especially projects people may recognize. Great. Um, Mac, we're a Mac Avenue Community Church Development Corporation. That's a long name, but we call ourselves Mac Development. And we were created to be the hands and the hands and the feet of the church in the community. And we... Um, Our thing is to go um, block by block and neighbor by neighbor to empower our neighbors, no matter what their status, um, to have a better life and to improve themselves. Um, So I'm really proud of that. Um, And we do things not because you're a Christian, because we are Christians. You're not required to be a Christian. You could be atheist. We don't care. We just want to love on you and um, live in community. We all live in a 48214. Most of us live in Pinkery Park. Um, And we have a building, um, which is the Commons. And in the Commons, we created a social equity for-profit enterprise. And it's a coffee shop laundromat. Now we do things Our pyramid of power starts with neighbors on top and we're at the bottom. So everything we do has to have community input. If we don't have enough people showing up for meetings and voicing in, we go on your porch and ask you what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, The conference was created from ideas from our community. It was their idea to put a laundromat there. Uh, We just happened to see a laundromat coffee shop in um, Seattle and added that because people also wanted some place to get fresh food that was healthy and um, affordable. So we live in a food desert in our area. And um, the closest place to get some food is the gas station, which is not good. Um, And it's it's a health problem for Detroiters because we can't like eat well. Um, so we started the commons and uh, we have um, like the laundry and the coffee, but not only do we do that, when you come in, we love on you as a neighbor. It's a place for you to feel safe. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. 
and be safe with it. Um, one of the concerns is we don't have a place to be ourselves because of new Detroiters. Well, you can be yourself at the Commons, and if you're a new Detroiter, you can come and learn about our experience and see how you can be a part or ally. Matter of fact, a co-conspirator um, so that you can help us elevate ourselves. So, so that's part about it above. Yeah, you guys just hired a new executive director in the person of Antoine Jackson. Tell us about that process. I know you are excited to get to work with Antoine. Oh, I was so excited. I wanted to meet somebody that don't that love to talk to the neighbors. And um, Antoine was my first interview, our first interview, because it's a group of us that do it from the church, um, from the community. And this time I asked them, um, to make sure community members um, like leaders of our CDCs and other leaders in the city had a chance to interview him or weigh in on him before he was hired. And like Donna said, all of those things were excellent. Um, he comes with a community background. Um, he has a humble spirit. Um, he shocked me and showed up at the Pistons event um, he saw me um, talking on Facebook Live and he just showed up and all the neighbors really liked them and the kids. I'm like, this is the man right here. <laughs> um, he's taking us to our next level because we're a young organization and we needed a few things to be done, um, like get refining some of our administrative processes and also getting out like our previous director, Ezekiel, um, to talk with our neighbors and not being stuck upstairs. So we just so excited about him. And I'm, I gotta, uh, I'm doing my tours and taking him to places to meet everybody, to put the neighborhood blessing on it. And we just ready to go. Yeah, that 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 yeah. that would be exciting. Uh, I Antoine is actually a personal friend of mine, and so it's uh, it's super cool to see him in his position. I know that he's going to excel and thrive in this position. So you you talked about the comments. Edith, we know that COVID-19 is real. So is the comments open right now? Can we come get coffee and do laundry? Yes, you can come get um, coffee and do laundry, but our um, we is strictly takeout for the coffee. Um, laundry, you can come and load and sit in your car and then come back in and get your um, laundry. We don't do that with our seniors. Um, um, we let them just stay in the building because it's just easier for them. Um, we are also, and our event space upstairs is limited to 10 people now um, until we get permission from the state to open that back up. But um, we try to make sure our community groups have a place that they know they can come and meet that's safe. Um, so we got that going on in there. And we also started for COVID for a 214 care. And 48214 CARE is our project of neighbors helping neighbors. Tell us about that. So we, we have all these neighbors that volunteer to assist our neighbors in need. So um, since the COVID, a lot of issues in the neighborhood is connecting people needing food, groceries, transportation, um, and utility assistance. So hooking them up with our partners for utility assistance and uh, more. now we're getting more people for rent and mortgage. 
Um, so we um, hook people up to assist them with those things. Um, we're getting donations and um, whatever it is, prayer requests, we just ask that you um, go to 48214care.com or callers on our number and see what we can do for you. Because if we can't take care of you, we're going to find someone to do that. And it was important for us to do it because we worked so hard in stabilizing our neighborhood um, over in Pingree Park. Um, we need to make sure our neighbors don't have to move. Um, we had 345 um, people in our zip code to die from COVID. Um, so we're looking at other needs, 345. So we're looking at other needs, like um, Donna had mentioned at a meeting about financial planning workshops and estate planning. We, um, we really need to get that done. And I'm going to ask Antoine to work with you on that because I don't have enough staff to do it. Um, and then we push people um, to ECN to those classes or we just can hold them for them at the comments or something like that. But people really, really need that because um, we do the property tax exemptions. So we're getting adult kids in that didn't realize their parents had these bills. Um, they don't know how to get the deed in their name. No will was left arguing amongst family members about the property. So that's a, um, a lack of having an education on how to handle that. And well, um, I just wanted to say, we have a new person on staff at ECN, Sherry Meadows, who okay. is um, working on financial empowerment. We are so happy to partner with you on that. Um, you were part of the Show Me the Money um, showcase that we did. And um, yeah. I think it's important that we also look at every single tool in the toolbox of financial empowerment. And we don't always talk about estate planning. And the other thing we don't talk about is bankruptcy. But there are some people who can and should declare bankruptcy because indeed that's where they are. And unfortunately, yeah. the Donald Trump declares bankruptcy and Every year. payment plans, right? Well, you know, there's right. certain types of bankruptcy that will eliminate all your back debt. And it, everybody won't qualify. It doesn't make sense for everybody. But I think that the important thing is that we put every tool in the toolbox in front of people, and let them figure out which ones to use. Um, and I'm an advocate of our people having access to the exact same financial tools as everybody else. So um, Orlando is Donald Trump's accountant, so he can talk to you about the bankruptcy. Piece. I sure can. But, but <laughs> Do it often. Do it often. He's, that's, that's his job. I'm just here to say that let's let's look at the tools and talk to the Orlandos of the world, the Donald Trump accounts of the world. I have a question about um, seniors. Um, when you talk about seniors, who are you talking about? You talking about me? Can I stay in there, or do you have to be a little bit older than me? Because I found I was a senior citizen. Uh, no, I use the and over. What is it? Fifty and over, because we're the most accessible. Okay, you said 57. I'm well into my senior citizen status. I was like, well, hey. Yeah. They were like, we <laughs> put everybody else out to make sure you don't get sick. Okay. All right, you know what? No. They said seniors 55 and older. I was like, dang, okay, all right. I guess, I guess I'll take that privilege. But the other thing I do want to note about the commons that people need to know when they talk about sitting in your car, don't wait too long because the commons is quick. Those those machines are fast. 
Oh, they're real quick. Everything you're, I, I can do 20 loads of laundry in an hour. <laughs> I've never seen any equipment work like that before. And I've just spent a lot of time in laundromats, but I do have to say, head, you know, give my praise to you guys. I know that ECN through Leap help invest in that equipment. So I'm a Oh, yes, you guys did. That was our down payment. I let everybody know that. <laughs> Listen, I'm glad to know because it's like 10 minutes and you're done. I mean, I've been there. I I take comforters there, right? I can wash yep. and dry a comforter in 20 minutes at the comments. Yes. And guess what? You guys helped us create that concert park lot, that concert park that we have next door, the beautiful lot. Yeah, you guys contributed to that too. It's beautiful in there. Yes. So um you know, I, I was really excited about the 4214 care program. It's so exciting to me seeing the brilliance and creativity and commitment of Detroiters to take care of our own. Um, who are your partners in this project? And how do people find out? How do people get connected? Um, so our partners in the project is the Villages CDC, Villages Community Development Corporation, um, private donors, um, Genesis Hope, ECN. We call you guys all the time for help because it doesn't always have to be money. It's like our resource partners. Um, those are our main partners. And um, like I said, the way you connect is um, through, our, through the website, 48214 CARE. And, oh, I don't remember the number by heart, so I don't want to repeat it. We do okay. have a number. Queen, can they I'll just hear. call you? Um, and, and, yeah, they can call me. Uh -huh. Yep, they can call me at 313-731-2037. And if you don't remember that, just come to the comments and ask the barista, and they will track me down wherever I am. You can believe it. <laughs> so the number so, for uh, 4821CARE is area code 313-482-9447. Again, that's area code 313-482-9449. Okay, All right, 313-482-9449. I got your back, Miss Edith. I got your back. Thank you, because I didn't have it right in front of me and I don't remember things like that all the time. But give us a call. We try to call you that day if you call, and we work from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And if we don't catch you um, on that day, we will call you the next business day. Edith, what kind of resources do you guys provide? What, what exactly falls under uh, the category of mutual aid, like errands, grocery store runs? We run grocery store runs. We bring food boxes. We take, we've taken people to the doctor um, to pick up their deed, to do the property tax exemption. Um, we paid to have people's utilities cut back on like they needed the down payment part. Mm -hmm. um, we paid for that. Um, we paid on rent, getting cars repaired so people can get to work. Um, it's a variety of things. That's why we say just call us um, and we're going to try to hook you up with some partners to take care of it. If not, then we'll just pay for it. So how many um, people have you helped so far? Um, so far, we have had um, 127 people, and we're still, we have eight people we're working on. And we have a lot of people that call back, like a lot of our seniors. We just automatically make sure they get food, and we check in on them so that they're not out. Um, 
Like I got a lady in my neighborhood, Miss Bibbs. We got to make sure she has some food. She's 97. Is, she's is that Birdie Bibbs? And that sister will get in a car and drive to the store. We're like, no. Let me tell you about Miss Bibbs, okay, Edith? Ms. Bibbs used to come to the, set, the uh, stakeholder advisory group meetings all the time at ECN. And so uh, at one point in time, we were serving like salads and, and wraps and things. So Ms. Bibbs called me and said, Orlando, listen, I don't want that raw food y'all be uh, giving out at the SAG meeting. I'm coming. I need something hot. But we had already put the catering order in. So I had to make Miss Bibbs a special meal. Okay. Oh, that's my girl. <laughs> so that she could have some hot. Miss Bibbs don't play. She don't play. She don't play. And <laughs> she be about the people now. That's my mentor right there. Yes. When I go talk to her, she be like, honey, I don't care what people say. You keep asking that's and right. you keep telling them and just that's all you need to do, baby. <laughs> I love Miss Bibbs. I do too. So how yeah. can folks access this service? Do you have to live within the 48214 zip code or is this open need, to all the Eastsiders? Who's, who's eligible? Um, you have to live in the 48214 or our bordering zip codes like 13 and 15. Okay. Um, if, if I get someone that's a long way away, I have other contacts like um, a contact at the Salvation Army main center. Um, they do some of those things too. And that whatever they don't do, they have someone to refer them to. Nice. And a lot of the things is just people don't know, like the Wayne Metro Cares, where they have the CARES Act funds. We send a lot of people there. They're getting their mortgages paid and everything. So we just automatically send them there. And everyone just put everyone should put go to Michigan Bridges and put in a state emergency relief for their utility bills rent everything because they have some of the cares fund and they're paying people's utility bills completely off right and they have until i think tomorrow tomorrow is the first um, round and then after that no good but then also you know we're working and we can work with you i don't know if you're working with groups that are helping people replace their water heaters their furnaces and their air conditioners dte has a program where we can help people get a renewed furnace. And the good news is not only will it keep you warmer, maybe even reduce the fumes, but also it should reduce your energy bills. So, yes. so many things that can be done. And I appreciate working with you and um, and, and trying to make that happen. Um, Pastor Mian, he had us sign up for it. So I signed up too. When the guy came to my house, I'm going to get a furnace. I got approved for a furnace. Even though I have like a 20-year-old hot water tank, they're going to replace that. And they said if they can't fix my old windows, they're going to put in a, a, a request to replace the windows too. So that's a lot of work for me on my house. And, um, you know, these old houses are leaky. And that will save a lot of money on my utility bills. You know, we are working through another program with DTE where they're going to replace all of our lighting and we're going to save $1,000 a month in one building and about $900 a month in another building, almost $2,000 a month. Wow. Paying our loan off. And then after our 0% interest loan is paid off in three years, we're going to pay, save about $4,000 a month. People need to know about these programs. Um, 
they're available to us. And a lot of times we don't take advantage of them. And sometimes the funds are not being spent. So um, I get really excited about spending other people's money, OPM, um, like Donald Trump and his <laughs> accountant. I like spending OPM. <laughs> hey, that's an example for you. Ooh, that's good. I got to find, I'm going to get in touch with you about that for our building too. Exactly. You, you need to make and sure. I the businesses on Mac, like um, for the PPE, I helped a lot of our businesses on Mac. Sometimes I don't like them, but they're, they've been sticking around for forever. So, hey, let's um, help them. So that's one of the conversations that I had with your new ED, Antoine, and Pastor Leon this morning. We talked about um, really taking a look at MAC and trying to make sure that every part of MAC from Gresham all the way to Maras has somebody actively working to develop it. So I'm really excited about that also, Edith. I'm excited about um, ECN and MAC development working even more closely together on projects. Um, oh, because, yes. You know, our, our motto is we're stronger together. We didn't take that from the Democratic Party. I think they took that from us because Maggie says we've had that since the 1980s, but you know, who am I to know? But yeah, we're stronger together. And so um, the East Side, yeah. when we come together and we show our strength and we show that we are going to stand with each other to um, make make change, great things. Yeah. Um, Orlando's throwing up somebody's gang signs. Y'all have to watch this. I am not gang. I have no idea what those are. I am down with you. You know what? <laughs> when we really get inside, I'm throwing up. I'm throwing up the east. Oh, east side. He's throwing up the east side. I'm a native west sider, so I don't really know all those gang symbols on the east side. I just do like this, I guess. <laughs> this y'all. This us. Stop telling, saying that I have gang ties. I'm already, okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. already, uh, you know, vocal against, you know, the powers that be in this city. They're going to try to get me. Wearing a hoodie, too? God is dope. God, on it. God, is, God is dope, okay? Yes, he is. Well, you know what, Donna, I always tell people when we all get together at CDC's on the east side and this community, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, well, you know. We're going to be a force that have to be reckoned with. You know, that our, our, our revitalized steering committee is becoming that force, Edith. So I'm so excited to have you at that table really saying, let's all stand together. I am so appreciative of you showing up today and representing Max so well, as you always do and always speaking for the people. You are and I'll be glad when Antoine starts doing this. Well, no, 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 he can't do what you do. Antoine's gonna do what Antoine does. You do what you do. Yeah, that's true. You know, anyway, <laughs> the queen will be the queen regardless of what Antoine does. I just think that he's the type of person who is smart enough to understand your value doing exactly what you're doing. And if and I, I'm just positive that he is. And if he's not and needs a reminder, there are many people I'm sure who will let him know. But you know, Antoine is a good person. I know he sees who you are and um, is blessed for you being there. Um, so you, know I'm gonna have his, you know I'm gonna have his back because it's time for these young adults to take over. Exactly. It, you Listen, if we don't know how to share power, we're gonna be 90 years old trying to fix things, okay? <laughs> Hey, like I told them, even if I don't like what you're talking about, I'm going to still do it. <laughs> you know what? But try to like it, too. Try to like it, too. I, I think one of the challenges for us is to listen and understand yeah. that young people will never see the world 
the way we did when we were young because the world they inherited is not the world we grew up in. And, and there's some good ideas too. But there's a whole lot of things we have to let go of. We didn't fix racism in 1968 with the passage of the civil rights law. It ain't over. Affirmative action didn't fix it either. Going to work for corporate America didn't fix it either. Moving to the suburbs didn't fix it either. Sending your kids to Harvard didn't fix it either. Racism is not something that is an individual sport. It is something that collectively we've got to keep on fighting for. Yes. In my opinion, the one area where we really fell a little bit short in our generation was not understanding that we could not decide some people weren't worth saving. The respectability mindset that said, well, you know what, you need to pull up your pants, you need to pull up your bootstraps. Every single black person matters as much as every single other. So we got to care about our brothers and sisters who are locked up. Yep. About those who are homeless. We got to care about those who are living in intergenerational poverty. And we got to care about those who are wealthy and don't even know they're black anymore. <laughs> you know, it's a big tent. Exactly. And we got to come together and, um, and show some mutual love. And through our mutual strengths, we will be stronger together. And um, what you do is such a big part because you are the voice that everybody needs to be listening to. So with that, I know that Orlando's gonna go on and tell us that if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Authentically Detroit, or email us at authenticallydetroit.gmail at gmail.com. So Orlando, you know what you always do with the shout outs? You always shout out everybody I can think of and I'm left with nobody, but I have one shout out after you get done with your wonderful list. <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to uh, Miss Edith. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We had a blast with you and uh, thank you for your work, your spirit and your fidelity to the community. Uh, Want to shout out the Eastside Extravaganza that is being sponsored by Eastside Community Network. The presenting sponsor is DTE. That's happening on October the 22nd. It's virtual. Donations are accepted, but the event is free. You can go to... Hey, just a quick question. How much was the regular tickets? Because we got to get ours. The regular ticket price last year uh, and for the last two years were $110. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> You can go to ecn-detroit.org to get your tickets to RSVP and to give a donation should you feel inspired. Uh, attached to the East Side Extravaganza are the Mo Better Awards, most outstanding on the East Side Awards. We have fun with that every year. Those are live right now. You can vote for your best East Side fun spot, your best East Side restaurant, your best East Side small business, the best employer of East Side residents, and then the other one. Which the other one? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I put my vote in. <laughs> five categories, but I can't remember the fifth one. Ah. Rise my gears. Also, uh, I have been hosting, co-hosting American Black Journal all month for a special series entitled Black, Does Black Lives Really Matter in America alongside uh, Stephen Henderson? It's been a pleasure and it has been honestly a dream come true, you know, as a journalist and as someone who pays attention, uh, paid attention to that show, especially sitting in the hosting seat is really a dream. I'm still like pinching myself. But uh, we are airing every Sunday and Wednesday Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. 
check us out. We have some phenomenal guests on yeah. Journal. Uh, we want to shout out Antoine Jackson, the new ED at Mac Development. We're so excited to welcome him to the East Side. I want to give a shout out to uh, Jesse Mitchell. Hey, hey, hey. Sister Jesse Mitchell, who helped shape my childhood experience at New Rising Star Missionary Baptist Church right there on Mac and French Road. She passed away at 92. She lived an amazing life. Uh, the old saying that says, if I can help somebody along the way, my living will not be in vain. And Sister Mitchell embodied that saying. And I just want to recognize her and honor her life. We love you. We are going to miss you, Sister mm -hmm. Jesse Mitchell. And Tawana Petty for being the warrior that she is. Donna? Yes. Um, <laughs> I want um, to shout out Chase Cantrell for uh, asking people to drop any editorials that he, they had written on his um, Facebook post. And I think that those are all gonna be posted online on a new Facebook page. I can't remember the Facebook page, but I thought it was great for him to encourage people to um, speak out. And Lauren Hood had um, an article on Afro-urbanism, I believe that's what it was called. And she did, is that it? Yeah, so she was interviewed about Afro-urbanism Afro on uh, Michigan Radio. On right, the, but that's yeah, good. Oh, it, 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 that, that followed an, a, a, an editorial she wrote a couple weeks back yes. that was absolutely brilliant. So I really want to shout out um, Lauren for introducing me to the term Afro-urbanism. I will be using this term, Lauren, um, because the flattery, the imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So I want you to be flattered and not feel like I stole it from you, but what a great way to put it. Um, I would like to shout out... Um, the Charles Wright Museum for its Voting Matters um, exhibit, which is a timely exhibit. We need our Museum of African American History to be talking about voting right now at this time when so many people are not certain that voting matters. Go there and tell me it does not. If voting didn't matter, they would not try so hard to uh, stop us. A special shout out to my husband, Kevin Davidson, for his role in leading the design of that. Um, design is ongoing. They had a very short period of time. But shout out to you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> and um, I would like to shout out our current- We need a man on the east side. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? Well, we, we do need things I like- I say he's a man on the east side. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I want to shout out um, my partners in Detroit 21. We are um, working together, doing things, trying to create an improved community development network in the city of Detroit. And every week it feels like we are making more headway in just building a system and a collaborative where um, community voices matter. So thank you all. And of course, mm -hmm. shout out to Orlando for his exciting Detroit Black Journal. Um, uh, or is it American Black Journal? American Black Journal. It used oh, to yeah. be. You're bigger than Detroit. I remember you're going to be international. Oh, um, Orlando, I just want to shout out Orlando, first of all, for never sleeping, because I have no idea how you do it all, but I want to thank you for it. Um, I have not had a chance to listen to Ken, but I, I'm sure it's going to be great. Black Lives Matter is, um, is so important and for us to really address these issues. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Authentically Detroit. We'll be with you again next week. Until then, catch the wave.